sometimes I'm keenly aware of uh, you know just what a privilege this is to to worship with you, to know you in this brief sojourn we have upon the planet. And uh, uh, actually, I was sitting in there listening to the the praise team practice, and I was just thinking, you know, ICM is a long shot every day. It's a long shot. Um, it really, on paper, doesn't make much sense that a, a congregation this small could survive for 12 years and a congregation that's moving all the time, a congregation that's turning over one-third to one-half of its people every year. So it's just a miracle. And I don't think maybe some of you realize what a miracle it is. I mean, Karen and I can sit there and watch it. We watch, we've watched it for 12 years, and every day for 12 years has been a miracle, right? So my point to you is, I hope you don't take for granted that God has provided this place for you to come and worship Him, to come and worship the living God, and to hear the truth preached, and to sing praises. I mean, I hope you don't take it for granted because this is a miracle. It's a miracle every day. And so I, I think sometimes it's lost on us. Even Karen and I sometimes, we get into the routine. But this is a miracle every day. And He, he keeps the doors open because it pleases Him. And uh, so... We are just here because He is an awesome God. He is a promise keeper and a faithful God. Now, I didn't intend to continue through, through James, but I keep reading the next few verses and I keep getting like, you know, pulled in. So I'm going to stay in the book of James um, uh, tonight. Uh, I'm going to turn and read the text. I hope you'll turn with me. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 13. I'm going to start in verse 13. James chapter 3. Let's stand as I read the text. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. I hope you have an electronic device or a Bible that you can look at. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Verse 15, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Verse 18. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. As most of you know, Karen and I, the Lord provided for us to, to go back to the States for August over the holiday. And we always... As I think I've shared with you already since we've been back, we always visit different churches, and uh, I had the opportunity to, to do that this time as well. You know, sometimes you visit a church and you never get to actually hear the Word of God. You don't actually get to hear a preacher. You get to hear a man masquerading as a preacher. You know, the kind of guy I'm talking about. His message is comprised of three emotional stories, maybe two jokes, uh, some psycho babble and a real tearjerker illustration at the end. But you don't actually ever hear what God has to say. I, I can remember one of the best compliments I've ever gotten, a young woman from Kenya. She was with us for a couple of years, and when she returned home, she, she wrote me an email. She says, you know what? I miss ICM. She goes, the church I'm in, it's like I never actually get to hear what God says. And it was one of the best compliments I ever got. 
She said, I hear a lot of men talking, but she, he says, I don't actually get to hear what God says. And so, obviously, that's one thing that we try to accomplish at this church. I've often thought, and I don't know what it's like in your home country where you're from. I, I can only speak from my experience in the U.S. If you're a medical doctor, the lawyers are going to come after you, right? I don't know. Is it like this in other places? Blessing, I don't know. If you're a medical doctor, you better have a ton of liability insurance because the lawyers are coming after you. If you make one mistake, they're coming after you. And I've often thought, you know, if there was money in it, uh, the lawyers would be coming after me because how much more important is what I do than what a medical doctor does? I mean, what a preacher does has eternal consequences, right? What uh, a medical doctor does most often is temporal consequences. So if there was any money in it, they'd be coming after a lot of preachers in the world. Lawyers would be lined up to sue guys guilty of gross negligence and malpractice. Um, I was talking with a brother yesterday about these things. If there was money in it, there would be a lot of malpractice um, lawsuits being filed against preachers. I was listening to Piper this week, John Piper. You guys know he's an American preacher. He's my favorite living preacher. And he said, preaching is not designed to let anyone off the hook. In fact, it's designed to keep you on the hook in one sense. That we are living this life before God. We are living this life before God. If we're unsaved, we need Jesus Christ. If we are a, a, a Christian, if, we, if we're born again, if we're walking with Jesus, we need to live like it. And we've been talking a lot about this. So when I preach to, to you in this place, you know, sometimes I, I, hear, I get feedback and you feel like you're on the hook. Well, that's a good thing. I'm on the hook when I study God's Word. I'm on the hook. If I'm not saved, I need a Savior. If I am saved, I need to magnify the Savior. You know, to become a Christian is not simply, I got it made, I'm going to coast on in. That's not, that's not the mindset of a true believer. True believers don't ever come to that place where they say, well, I'll just coast on in. I've got grace. I'll live any way I want. I can live like the world. I have Jesus in my hip pocket. I prayed the magic prayer and I did the magic ordinance. I'm good, I'm in. This is what we see in many, many places. Back to my original point, Karen and I visit a lot of churches uh, when we go home. And we visited one of my friend's churches. He's the pastor, and I went to seminary with this uh, man. Actually, we were in business together for a while. Um, he's a wonderful friend of mine. And he preached one of those really you're on the hook kind of sermons. <laughs> uh, and it was, a, it was a beautiful thing. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't one of those happy church sermons. Don't you hate those happy church sermons? I hate happy church sermons. I mean, there's nothing wrong with happy church in one sense. But when it's all just, I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay, um, you know, that's not, actually if you read the Bible, if you read more than three or four or five verses of the Bible, you, you have a problem with this kind of mentality, this kind of, presentation. But this guy preached the truth. He took us to Luke 14, 26-35. I'm just going to read a couple of verses to you. 
You guys will remember this great verse. If anyone comes to Me and he does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be My disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. Now, I know that's a startling statement to those who are biblically illiterate. But those of us who have read our Bibles and understand our Bibles, we understand what Jesus is saying, right? What is Jesus saying? Are we supposed to actually hate our family? Well, of course not. The Bible is clear. We're to love our family and care for our family and provide for our family. If we don't do this, we're worse, we're worse than unbelievers, I think the Apostle Paul says. What's Jesus talking about? He's saying, I must be supreme. He's saying, I'm supreme in my people's lives. I am loved above all else. Above spouse, above children, above mother, above father, above sister, above brother. Jesus is saying, I am supreme. I am supreme in the lives of my people. Jesus is never interested in half-hearted Christianity. You actually read through the Gospels, you realize every time He gets a big crowd, what does Jesus do? He turns around and He says something really hard and most of them leave. What is Jesus interested in in the church? What is Jesus really interested in? He's interested in His disciples, His people, that they would love Him supremely. It's the, whole, it's the heart thing we've been talking a lot about the last few weeks. It's the heart thing. We don't just love Jesus with our mind and with our lips. We don't just think it's a, a, a nice theology, a nice philosophy of life. We have fallen in love and our heart is no longer ours. It is His. This is what I read on the pages of the New Testament. Christianity is a holy lust it is a, or it's a spiritual masquerade. It's, it's dynamic discipleship or it's just dead religion. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to quote him again. I listened to the Sermon of the Day, huge mistake for me, the Sermon of the Day on Desiring God website, which is John Piper's website. And this was the caption um, introducing the Sermon of the Day. Piper says, I don't want to be a comfort-seeking, entertainment-addicted, security-craving, approval-desiring Christian. Ouch. Right? Most folks I run into are attracted to every one of those things. And I'll, and I'll make a confession, so am I. You're, we're naturally attracted to comfort, right? We're naturally attracted to, to security and, and approval. We're naturally attracted to that. But if you're going to walk with Jesus, it's not always going to go well for you in that regard. You are, as I was telling my brother yesterday, we are a peculiar people. You get that, right? We're a peculiar people. We're supposed to be a peculiar people. Unbelievers are not supposed to understand what we're talking about. I was sharing with this brother, you know, when I share the Gospel with people, I don't really expect them to understand it unless God is doing something. If God's not at work, I don't expect them to understand it. What does, what does the, Apostle tell the, the Apostle Paul tell the Corinthians? The natural man cannot understand the things of God. So unless God is doing a work in that man or that woman's life, they're not going to understand the Gospel and they're going to think I'm an idiot. They're going to think I'm a fool. Um, but that's just how it works. 
It doesn't mean I don't share the truth. It means I do share the truth. That's why I'm a preacher. I mean, but if it was up to me to save anybody, I would still be an accountant. I would have never left my little job with my little pen and my little calculator and my little pocket protector. I would have never left that job if it was up to me. But I know it's up to God to make a Christian. God makes men and women Christians. God does that. No preacher does that. No church does that. No priest does that. No pope does that. No patriarch does that. God does that. God makes real Christians. Men have very little to do with it. Except all I am is a mouthpiece. All you are out in the world is a mouthpiece. Yeah, so Karen and I heard some real good preaching back in the States challenging us to love Jesus Christ with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love a good sermon like that. I don't know if you do. I love a good sermon like that. I want to be challenged to go deeper and further with God all the time. And that's one reason when you come in here, I kind of do that a lot, don't I? I guess I do that all the time, right? I'm, I'm always going to push you. Where are you with Jesus? Well, let's take the next step. Where are you not obeying the Lord? So that's where I am always going to push you. One, one, one more quick quote from John Piper, and I'm sorry about this. Karen critiques me. Oh, you, you, you quote John Piper too much. But I love what he says. He says, you know, all true preaching has gravity and gladness in it. You know, now, if you're just in a church, it's always happy. It's always happy. Everybody's happy. There's no solemnity. There's no trembling before God. There's no awe. There's no wonder. It's just happy. You know it's not a biblical church. John Piper is right. In real preaching, biblical preaching, all you got to do is read the red words. Read the red words. There's always gravity and gladness. There's always these two things. There's always gravity. Hell is real. Men and women are going there. Jesus says you must have me. And there's no negotiation here. That's the gravity, but the gladness is this awesome God died for me and for uh, His people. And I won't spend eternity in hell where I should be. I will spend eternity with this beautiful God who has saved me. You say, Jim, that's a really nice introduction. What's he got to do with the text? Did you notice that the text is talking about Wisdom. It's talking about wisdom. And I hope that I'm trying to, at least what I'm trying to do is make a connection. I love Psalm 111.10. The fear, someone tell me, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of what? Wisdom. So how can, how can there not be gravity when the Gospel is presented? Of course there's gladness, but there's gravity and gladness. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Let me ask you, have you ever feared God? And we'll talk more about that. I want to I fill that out just a little bit. I want to I flesh that out for you so that you don't have the wrong impression. I just want to say this, if we neglect the gravity of the biblical message, we will never be able to fully comprehend, fully communicate, or fully incarnate the gladness that is part of the Gospel. 
One preacher said, if we preach less of the love of God and more of the wrath of God, we will have more to say about the love of God. Beloved, all of the truth of God is necessary in understanding all of the truth of God. So if you're in a church and they're editing wrath, they're editing judgment, they're editing the reality of an eternal hell, if they're editing these things, you know you're in a false church. You just know you're in a false church. If you never hear these things preached, you realize I'm in a false church and I've got to get out. If it's just happy, happy, happy church, God wants to bless you. Oh, if you would just believe more and engage in word of faith, then you'll be rich. I mean, if that's the kind of garbage that you hear uh, when you visit a church, you know you're in a false church. This has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. And I know I hammer this a lot, but it's because it's so prevalent um, in the world in our day and age. So, to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because it's the beginning of joy. It's the beginning of completeness. It's the beginning of fulfillment. It's the beginning of life. And in James, God exhorts us to radically and extravagantly live out our faith, to live out the wisdom that God imparts to us as we are born again, as we are born from above. God is calling you and God is calling me to live out that wisdom. We don't just do some ceremony and we're in. And it's done. It's never done. You're never done with Jesus. You're never off the clock with Jesus. Yes! (laughs) If you're truly saved, you're saved! And that can never be changed! But now you're a disciple! You're a disciple! You're called to live like a disciple! And a lot of the red words, Jesus is telling us what that looks like what it looks like to be one of His people. So in the first three chapters of the book of James, God has specifically said that my children live their faith, and we've seen three or four things. God says my children live their faith in their trials, in their temptations, in their impartiality, and in their speech. Last week we talked a lot about the words, our speech, our tongue. God says, my people, and I want you to go back and read the first three chapters. I want you to see this. God says, my people live their faith in their trials, in their temptations, in their impartiality, and in their speech. James 1.22, God says that do nothing hearers are deluded. James 2.20, God says that do nothing talkers have a dead faith. God says, do nothing talkers are no better than do nothing doers. We are the disciples of Jesus Christ. We don't merely talk. We don't merely hear. We incarnate the Word. It's what we do. It's what God. It's the only reason God's left us on the planet. Is to be His disciples. It's not happy church every Sunday and then I live like the world the rest of the week. It's never, that's not biblical Christianity, beloved. It has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. So, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we are truly born from above, the wisdom from above will be flowing through our lives. It will just be flowing through our lives. It's what we've been talking about the last three or four weeks. It just flows through our lives. Perfectly? Of course not. Never perfectly. 
We're still fallen. We're still doing battle with our sin nature. And we sin every day, don't we? In thought, in word, in deed, we sin every day. But Jesus Christ has covered our sin. We confess our sin. and We are cleansed by Jesus Christ. Verse 13, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. There it is. I mean, I don't think it requires a lot of exposition. Do you understand? Do you really understand who you are before God? Do you really understand? If you understand, let Him show it by His good behavior. Right? Jesus says, if you really understand, it'll be in your life. That's what we've been saying for the last four or five weeks. This is the theme of Listen, it's the theme of the whole Bible. God never stops saying this. He never stops saying this. My people, I change their lives and they live changed lives. Right? God says, I change their lives and they live changed lives. Old Testament, New Testament, God just never keeps saying this. He never, keeps, he never stops uh, illustrating this. It's what... Being God's son or daughter looks like. Let him show wisdom by his good behavior. The born from above thing will be visible. It will be obvious in your life as you employ the wisdom from above. Your spouse will see it. Your children, your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors. And I love this phrase here at the end. In the gentleness of Wisdom. This is the same verse that Jesus, this is the same Greek word that Jesus used for himself over in Matthew 11:29. He says, Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble. Jesus is simply calling us to, to walk in, in the way that he walked, right? In gentleness. To please his father. I mean, this was always on his lips. I walk to please my father. Everything my Father says I do. Of course, you and I will never be perfect in that regard. But isn't that, your, isn't that your desire when you wake up in the morning? Man, I want to honor the Father today. In my words and in my deeds and even in my thoughts, I want to honor God today. It's just, it's just an exhortation here in verse 13 to actually follow what the pattern that Jesus has laid down for us. Verses 14 to 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, wow, demonic. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. God says if your life is marked by jealousy and selfish ambition you are clueless when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ and living by His words. God says, that's not from Me. Jealousy is not from Me. Selfish ambition does not come from Me. In fact, we talked about it, I think, last week. It proceeds out of the heart of fallen man. These things proceed out of the heart of fallen man. They're not from God. They are not from God. God says jealousy and selfish ambition, they are of the world, they are earthly, they are natural, 
And yeah, wow, that's strong. They are demonic, he says. Jealousy and selfish ambition are demonic. Now, that's just about as strong as you can say it, right? You can't say it any more strongly than that. So, here's the deal. If you think it's all about you, guess what? Guess who thought it was all about Him first? Who was the first created being to think it was all about Him? Who knows? Who knows? Satan! He said, I will be like the Most High God! Are you consumed with yourself? Do you think it's all about you? You're thinking like a demon. Beloved, this is what the Bible's saying. I'm not saying it. The Bible's saying it. I'm just the mouthpiece. You think it's all about you? God says that's the way the demons think. It's the birth of sin. The birth of sin. The closest we come to understand the beginning of sin is Satan being lifted up in his own heart saying, I will be like God. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want. Selfish ambition. It's demonic. It's what the Lord is saying to us here, beloved. It's what the Lord is saying to us. I like here in verse 16, God says, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition. What does it say there at the end of verse 16? There is there are a few evil things, or there are a couple of evil things, or, or evil has an opening, or evil may show up. What does it say? If there's jealousy and selfish ambition, what? There is disorder and what? Every evil thing. Can it be said any more strongly? Every evil thing is present When jealousy and selfish ambition exist, God says there is disorder and every evil thing. I, I, I don't know if God can't say it any stronger, right? It's demonic and every evil thing inhabits. Jealousy and selfish ambition. What is the origin of evil? I just referred to it earlier. It's the hearts of the free will moral creatures that God has created. You know, people want to say, well, why did God create evil? I don't see evil as a created thing. I mean, you guys know the perfect metaphor here, right? So what is, what is cold? Is cold? What is cold? It's the absence of heat. In one sense, cold is no thing. It's simply the absence of a thing. So, what is darkness? What is darkness? It's simply the absence of light. In one sense, darkness is no thing. It's just the absence of a thing. So, where does evil arise? It's simply the absence of the love of God in the moral creatures He's created. This is where evil arises. We talked a lot about this last week, and I won't go into great detail. But a lot of people want to accuse God of creating evil. Beloved, don't let anyone ever get away with talking like that about your Father and your Redeemer 
and your creator. Don't let anyone ever get away. Now, I understand we deal with a lot of people in the world who are completely clueless about these things, but you need to be able to stand up and say, you know what? Uh, I've read my Bible. Let me, tell you about, let me tell you where evil comes from. It comes from you, and it comes from me. That's where it comes from. It originated with Satan, and we are only too willing to be his accomplices. Amen? On this planet. He is the little g-god of this world. And mankind is... He's like the Pied Piper and mankind is just following Him. Blindly. So Paul told the Corinthians, he preached a wisdom that is not of this age. Beloved, are you living by that wisdom? He went on to say, none of the rulers of this age understand the wisdom that you and I understand. He went on to say, natural man does not accept or understand the wisdom that you and I understand. Through the new birth, through regeneration, we are new creatures. We are the adopted children of God. We think differently. And because, we think di because we're thinking God's thoughts after God, of course we're peculiar. <laughs> of course we are. I mean, it would be impossible for you not to be peculiar in the world if you actually belong to Jesus Christ. It's just an impossibility. It's an oxymoron. The word, the word carnal Christian, the term carnal Christian is an oxymoron. It's an oxymoron. We're certainly not perfect, but we are moving on. Aren't we? We're moving on in sanctification. We are being changed, man. We are being changed into the image of Jesus. And it's an awesome, awesome trip for all of us who are on that trip. So this section about wisdom, it's really a section about, again, about true conversion. The fear of the Lord is simply Old Testament jargon for being born again. You know, you have to be deceived about this. It's a willful kind of willful thing. If you know, I, I've I've seen this all my life. Again, I've been a Christian since I'm twenty since I was twenty eight, and uh, you see a lot of people, and they 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 claim to be a Christian, and you you run into them out in the world, and you can't tell the difference from from them and and someone who doesn't claim to be a Christian. They talk the same, they act the same, they plan the same, they hope the same, they dream the same, they invest the same, they save the same. Everything's the same. There's actually, actually no distinction. Again, this is an oxymoron. The fear of the Lord, it's talking about true conversion and everything will change. Everything will change if we are the people of God. It's what, again, Eugene Peterson said a couple of weeks ago in uh, that great second chapter of James, God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense. If we, if we talk like we're from God, but we don't act like we're from God, it's nonsense. It's just nonsense to the world, and it's nonsense before God. It's just nonsense. This wisdom that God is calling us to, beloved, it was modeled for us in the life of Jesus Christ. Just go read His life. Just go read the four Gospels. Do it this week. They're not that long. Just go read the Gospels. And watch how Jesus walked. And ask yourself, am I walking like this? 
Am I employing the wisdom of God? You know, we talked about it uh, Thursday night at Young Adult Bible Study. I think we were in Matthew, was it Matthew 6? I think it was Matthew 6. Where Jesus says, if your eye is bad, you're full of darkness. And we, we simply talked about that. What does it mean if your eye is bad, you're full of darkness? It means you're looking at the world, man. It means you love the world more than you love Jesus. I mean, that's really what, what's being said there. Your eye is bad. Your eye is on this world and the things of this world and what I can get from this world and all the pleasure this world can give me. That's what my eye is really on. Now, I claim to be a Christian and I go to church if it's not too inconvenient, but what I really love is I love the pleasures of this world and the glory of this world and the fame of this world and the accomplishment of this world. That's what I really love and I love the money and I love the security. That's what I really love. Beloved, don't even call yourself a Christian if that's what you really love. <laughs> it, it just does dishonor to, to the words of Jesus Christ. So the wisdom of God, it was evident in the life of Jesus and it will be evident in the life of every true believer. I've got a, I've got a whole list of verses here, but I'm just going to share like two of them with you. Um, you know, from 1 John, he wasn't a happy church, cotton candy kind of preacher. But let me just give you a couple of excerpts from 1 John, first two chapters. He says, If we say that we have fellowship with Jesus and yet we walk in darkness, we, what? Does anybody remember? We're a liar, is what he says. He says we're a liar. If we say we have fellowship with Jesus but we walk in the darkness, and it's all the things I just said, we love the world more than we love Jesus, he says we are a liar and we don't practice the truth. By this we know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep His commandments. The one who says I have come to know Jesus and does not keep His commandments, he is a liar. This is the Word of God, beloved. It's the Word of God. This is not happy church tonight, okay? I <laughs> know we don't do happy church much. There's always gravity and there's always gladness in the gospel. Gravity is you and I, apart from the sovereign grace of God, are completely, totally, utterly, irreconcilably lost. But because of this awesome God who has set his heart upon us and who has become a man and been nailed to a tree. Man, I always say this. I don't know why there's not 10,000 people sitting in this room wanting to hear about Jesus. I understand it from a Romans 1 perspective because men hate the truth and they suppress it. I get that. But beloved, biblical Christianity, it's the best news that has ever fallen upon the ears of mankind. It's astonishing to me. It's always astonishing to me. Verse 18, God says, did I read it yet? No, did I read 17 and 18? I don't think I did. Let me read it. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Again, He's calling us to live and walk like Jesus Christ. Again, we can't hope, we can't hope to walk perfectly. That's not what the call is. The call is to walk in the ways that Jesus walked with purity and be in, 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 in peace and gentleness, reasonableness, full of mercy and good fruits, without hypocrisy. This is, what, this is the wisdom that comes down from God. And this is the wisdom that God is calling you and I to the sons and daughters of God. 
we walk in the fear of the Lord. We set our minds on what? Someone tell me. On a great career, a perfect family, a ton of money, and every modern convenience you can think of. That's really what we love, isn't it? Or is it? What do you love? I'm just going to ask you. What do you love? What do you love? Principally, primarily, what do you love? The Christian loves Jesus. There's not even close. It's not even I said, it, I said it earlier. Our heart is no longer ours. It's His. I think it was in the music. It was in Oceans. I am yours and you are mine. It's the sacred romance, beloved. It's the sacred romance. It's the most awesome thing that can happen to a man or a woman. To be in intimacy with the living God. It's the most awesome and breathtaking thing. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's too big to even talk about. So there's a lot of misunderstanding about what, is, what do you mean, Jim, if you, know, if you don't know your Bible well and you're not well versed in, in uh, biblical theology, you say, well, what is this fear of the Lord? I don't want to fear God. But God says the beginning of wisdom is that you fear Him. What are we talking about? What are we talking about here? Well, it's not a dreadful or frightful kind of thing. It's an awesome thing for the creature to come into right relationship with the Creator. We have awe and reverence for Him as any creature should for the One who spoke them into existence. <laughs> I mean, it seems to me like the minimum obligation of a human being even if he doesn't love Jesus, to at least tip his hat to Jesus. Jesus is your Creator. Colossians 1.16 Minimum obligation, I think. Right? John Piper again. I, yeah, I'm, Karen's going to kill me tonight. Um, and then I'm done. John Piper writes, For most of us, fear is something we want to get rid of, not get more of. If, if, if that's true of the fear of the Lord, then there's something wrong with my heart. Or there's something wrong with my understanding of the fear of the Lord. And then he lists the benefits, the biblical benefits of fearing God. And so I'm just going to share them with you and then we'll be done. Psalm 25, 14. The friendship of the Lord, oh, guess what? It's for those who fear Him. Psalm 33, 18. The eye of the Lord, oh, guess what? It's on those who fear Him. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord, oh, guess what, encamps around those who fear Him and He delivers them. Psalm 34, 9, those who fear the Lord, oh, guess what, have no ultimate want. People want to turn that into a health, wealth, and prosperity verse. Sometimes we die. Uh, sometimes we are martyred. Does that mean God can't keep that promise? No not what that means. That's not what that means. We have no want in death. Jesus meets us there. I got to tell you, I know it's weird. I turned 60, as you know, and I'm thinking about death. And I was talking to a brother yesterday. I said, you know, I don't want to live too long. You know, 
because I, I watch my friends and my family, and it's it getting, getting old is hard, and this is the providence of God for most of us. Uh, but, you know, it, it's kind of like the Philippians 1 thing. It's like, I'm hard-pressed, man. <laughs> you know, if you, if you don't have some sense of being hard-pressed about staying or going, it, 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 it kind of betrays um, a lack of understanding about exactly who Jesus is and what awaits us. And there's a healthy balance there. There's a healthy balance there, so I don't want to, you know tip you over one way or the other, except to say, you know, my days are, my days are ordained anyway. I'm not going to live one second longer than God has ordained. So I can just simply be free and winsome, right? I can be free and winsome with my life. Let me finish these, this list. Psalm 103.13, the Lord pities those who fear Him. Psalm 103.17, the everlasting love of, of the Lord is upon those who fear Him. Psalm 147.11, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him. Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it rests in satisfaction. So, that's what it means to fear the Lord. I don't want you to have a misunderstanding about the absolute awesome joy of fearing God correctly. These are just some of the benefits I've read off to you. This is what happens in the life of the, the true believer who is fearing God in a biblical way. So, I'm exhorting you to be a God-fearer and to let that wisdom permeate every sphere of your life. Be a peculiar man or woman at the university, in the home, in the neighborhood, at work. Be a remarkable God-fearer as you walk in the wisdom that God has given to you as He regenerated your dead soul. Be a remarkable God-fearer. Because God says in James 13.7, In purity, peace, gentleness, reasonableness, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, walk this way. Walk this way, beloved. I exhort you, no compromises this week. No rationalizations this week. You be God's man. You be God's woman. I'm going to live out the wisdom that God has given me. It doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter how much fun people make of me. It doesn't matter if I get rejected. It doesn't matter if I'm ostracized. None of that matters. You know, None of that matters at the end of the day. I'm going to walk in the wisdom that God has given to me and I'm going to make much of Jesus in it. That's that's the exhortation for tonight, beloved. That's the exhortation. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, there are probably some here that won't understand what I'm saying, but to live this life knowing You and employing Your words, it is like cheating. We are in relationship with the omnipotent God who works all things according to His good pleasure. We are Your friend. We are Your children. No harm can come to us apart from the harm that You have sovereignly decreed it will be used for Your glory and our ultimate joy. Oh God, I pray that we would 
not only receive this wisdom, we would incarnate this wisdom. It's joy. It's freedom. It's satisfaction. It's fulfillment. It's life. To live this wisdom, it's life. And I believe, Father, that some of us in this room have been afraid to grab on to this life and live it huge, Lord. This is our prayer. Holy Spirit, come and quicken us. Let us be afraid no more. Let us be disciples that shine brightly in the world that men may see our works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Oh God, we want to be like this. This is who we want to be. Help us, Lord. We all fall woefully short. Help us, Father. And we cry, we cry out to You in faith knowing that You will help us. Knowing that You will be all that we need in every circumstance. There will not be one circumstance that arises in our life that You haven't planned for us and that You won't be every single last thing we need. So Lord, I pray we would own that and we would walk that and we will make Jesus famous in the world. Be with us, great and awesome God, we pray. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen.